coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Yes. Dory was yeah. on the yeah. tour yeah. as well. I was with you, too. Yeah. You were, so, yeah. so we were all But everybody remembers Dory. Nobody remembers me or Odell. Right, <laughs> right Odell? So I say you must be doing something right because everybody thinks what you're doing is wrong. You know, men are seen as aggressive and strong, and women sometimes can be seen as bitchy or whiny or defensive. It's like, oh my God, you got to get them black folks under control. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill, one. you got to have one, a nope. token black person, a token And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you to say thank you for the opportunity to live in such a great country. Thank you for the opportunity that on our currency, it still says, in God we trust. We do trust in you, God. God, we ask you to continue to Bless the people and protect the people of Ukraine. Bless and protect the people in Poland. And God, we just ask you to continue to touch the hearts of the rulers and the leaders, God, to let them know, because the word says, the Holy Scripture says that you hold the hearts of the rulers in your hand. So God, in some rulers, we ask you to squeeze their hearts a little bit more so they know that you and only you are in control. So, God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen. Dearly, Father, we just uh, lift up today. It's a beautiful spring day out there. Uh, as we get ready to celebrate Passover and Easter, we ask blessings on all those different faces. They honor you and celebrate you. Lord, uh, thank you for my friend Odell and his family, and thank you for bringing Mayor Vaughn into my life and my wife's life. She's she's becoming a good, good friend. Lord, uh, we, we lift up uh, Vladimir Putin. Is uh, is my friend Odell prayed? May you put some pressure on his heart. Uh, he needs to have his heart softened and find a way out of this conflict and uh, and stop killing people. Uh, Lord, uh, we ask for you put your hand around the people in Ukraine, keep them safe. Thank you for all the people in Poland that are accepting millions of refugees, and for the many, many, many organizations that are helping. Amen. 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 Bill, guess what? What? I got an invitation to go see the president of the United States of America yesterday. Really? Now, yeah, really. The poor boy, well, the good, I think they invited me, Bill, because I'm the good looking black man. I think the word has gotten around, but I don't know. <laughs> Let me just tell you what happened though. <laughs> Wait a minute, Bill, you're laughing too much. Uh, <laughs> man, oh man, it's, I got to pick my feet up. It's getting deep in this studio. Okay. Well, let me tell you what happened. 
So, you know, I've, I've been blessed to be invited to see three, let me count them off. The son, Bush, I didn't get a chance to see him, but I was invited. President Obama, I was able to get invited to the White House. You know, he's my hero, him and Michelle. So I went to the White House and I saw him. No, no, I'm wrong. The first time I saw him, he was a candidate. He came to Greensboro and I got an invitation and I was able to get my wife and my son to join us. So they all joined us and it was just great down the Coliseum. I mean, it was amazing. He was just all that in a bag of chips. And since he's black, a bag of barbecue chips. So now <laughs> with all that being said, then I got a chance to see him at an event at the White House. And I got another chance to go up to his final State of the Union address as a guest of our good friend, Mark Walker. So Obama was okay. Later on, I got an invitation to go see President Trump. He was coming into Greensboro, you know, Air Force One, greet him at the airport. And I decided not to. Went through Secret Service and all that. And I decided not to, because Bill, I didn't want to be that black guy. You know that black guy that's always behind President Trump, blacks for Trump. I didn't want to go there, Bill, and somebody stick a sign in my hand. And now I'm on national news, the good looking black guy with a sign in his hand saying blacks for Trump. Couldn't do that one, Bill. Couldn't trust that one. You know how there's some neighborhoods you don't go through because it's dangerous. That was a dangerous neighborhood for me to go through. So now we get the invitation from President Biden. And I was just so busy because, as you know, and our guest knows, when you get those invitations from the White House, they usually come last minute. And it's going to be interesting to ask our guest, when did she get hers? Because I got mine Wednesday evening around five or six. And they're so secretive. It's almost like, and I understand it for security purposes, but man, oh man, it's a blessing and an honor that the president of the United States of America, the most powerful position in the world, came to Greensboro, North Carolina as an example of what this great leader who's on our show today is doing along with so many others. So Bill, I'm excited. I am excited. And maybe, just maybe, my invitation was for the good looking black man, Bill. What do you think, my friend? <laughs> I'm sure I know why they invited you, but I can't say it on, I can't say it on the podcast. <laughs> Hey, hey, and guess what? The, the whole thing was held at North Carolina A&T State University. Yes, sir. The largest HBCU in the country, Aggie Pride. There you go. There you go. Not only the largest, but the best. Oh, man. She's all in. Yeah. You know, all in. Well, let's introduce our guest. Okay. Our guest is Mayor Nancy Bond. Oh, man. Uh, I'm a I'm a fan. It's interesting. I remember back in, I want to think it's 2017, Bill. She was running for re-election and I endorsed her. She was running against another fine young lady who was a pastor, African-American female pastor. And I endorsed Mayor Vaughn. Well, the papers all of a sudden on the front page of the paper, it's like, you know, let, let me just read it real quick, Bill, because this is crazy. It says, a top leader of one of Greensboro largest churches has endorsed Mayor Nancy Vaughn in her re-election bid. It's the Reverend Odell Cleveland, Chief Administrative Office. Then they write, as a private citizen, and they're like, we usually don't post, you know, what private citizens endorse. However, since it's Cleveland and he's an African-American pastor endorsing a white female over another African-American pastor, we thought it significant. Now, see, that's the kind of stuff you have to deal with. So I was tarred and feathered, Bill, for endorsing someone who I thought was the best candidate. And since I'm an independent thinker, I wear that with pride. So and I I'll hope guess I made today, you proud. There you go. 
Our guest today is Mayor Nancy Vaughn. And for the audience who don't know her yet, man, she is awesome. Mayor Vaughn, welcome to the show. Thank you. My pleasure to be here with you both. Thank you, Mayor, for being here. You know, I, I, I Odell, that was quite a story. I can't believe you're hobnobbing with big people like that. That just, I never knew that about you. Why hobnob with you, Bill? You, you, you're bigger than the president. You're my man. Can you yeah. drink bourbon? Get yeah. Well, I can still now, remember Bill, on that topic. Bill, I don't want you getting our mayor drinking bourbon in a cigar today, Bill. I promise. Okay. We'll, we'll behave. Odell. You didn't say anything about tonight. Yeah. <laughs> After five, right? Yes. After five. Yeah. If I, if I drink during the day, I usually have to take a nap. Yeah. It's, it's All not right. good. Uh, okay. That does not work well. The, uh, well, Mayor, I, ha I have a couple of questions. One is, how did you get into politics? What's your background? Because I don't know it. And uh, I think our listeners would be curious uh, how a female mayor who just met the president and has done great things for this city. How did it start? Well, you know, it's kind of circuitous. Um, I've always loved politics. I can remember when I was 13, feeding my brother a bottle, watching Nixon resign as he went off on that helicopter wow. and thinking like what a momentous thing that was happening, not understanding everything, but it was even wonky at a young at a young age. And so I always loved political science and politics. I was a political science major in college. I thought that I might be a lobbyist one day live in DC, but you know, that didn't happen. Life gets in the way. I got married, had two children. When I moved to Greensboro, um, there was a huge rezoning issue that literally was happening in our backyard. It was uh, six rezonings at once. It was going from an agricultural to a very high intensity usage. And that's actually how I got involved in local politics. Um, I have evolved a lot since then. I've been on the council a number of years as a district rep and at large rep and ultimately mayor. But my heart is in the city of Greensboro and that's where I wanna stay. Well, thank you. That's a good overview. Greensboro is a t great town. You know, we want it to grow. We want it to be spectacular, but we don't want it to become uh, in Atlanta, if you will. Correct. You know, we want to have the infrastructure that supports all that. And with all the new things coming into town that you've been part of, uh, you know, like the Publix Distribution Center, which is I don't know, a couple million square feet, I believe. 2.2. Wow. Yeah, it's a massive building. Man, oh, man. And then you then you add the, the Toyota battery plant and boom, which is the supersonic jet. And I know Procter and Gamble's adding to their square footage in both their facilities. I understand they make all the Crest toothpaste in Greensboro. They do. And, um, and I think Pepto-Bismol, I'm not sure exactly what that says. Yeah. But yeah. I think well, that's... you know, and NyQuil. Yes. NyQuil's absolutely. the other one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's quite an interesting history we have here and you've been part of that, that economic engine that's driven it. So, Odell and I were talking and we were going to ask you a couple questions. Uh, one is, um, how do you deal with uh, some of the different personalities and some of the different issues that come up uh, on console? And, uh, you know, you have a city manager, so that kind of takes a little bit of a burden mm -hmm. off. And I know the pay that you get, you're not doing it for the money. You can make more money working at McDonald's. Sure. That's actually true. Yeah. Yes. So you're doing it. It's a labor of love. So the form of government that North Carolina has is called a 
weak mayor, strong manager, which means that the manager, the city manager is really the chief executive office, but the mayor um, certainly does have the bully pulpit. And we are a nonpartisan council, though um, everybody knows what party you're with. But when I look at city issues, the real on the ground issues, they're not partisan. They're, um, you know, good streets, good libraries, good schools, all of these things are something that we all want as a community. So I think it's easier to, um, to build a coalition when you're really looking about wanting the best in your immediate community. Okay. And, you know, I, I, this is for my education, just learning, uh, uh, police chief yes. that we have, we have a spectacular police we do. chief. We are so blessed. How do, what's your involvement of deciding Who's the police chief, or is it just come from the council, or does it come from the city manager with a recommend? How does that work? So it actually comes from the city manager. The city council only has two employees. Um, we oversee the city attorney and the city manager. So when the police chief was hired, it was during a pretty turbulent time in um, in our community on public safety issues, and there was a national search that was done and the community was involved in that final decision but ultimately it was up to the city manager at the time and i think he made a great selection yes he did and you know we got to go to israel with uh chief scott and his wife uh and odell um and uh so i got a chance to have dinner with him one night and he was toward the end of his career uh and he's another great guy yes he has some great stories and uh you know, we're, we're going to get the police chief on. Every time I see him, he goes, I got to get on your show. So he'll eventually make it. We, we realized you folks are a little busy. <laughs> well, especially him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the uh, I'm really, really excited about the direction you've got our city going. Can you talk a little bit about that, your vision for our city? Well, my vision has always been that we're going to be the best Greensboro that we can be the best medium-sized city in in the country. And I think we're actually headed in that direction. We do have some challenges, but they're not so large that they make you throw up your hands and think that you can't make a difference. You know, we were decimated by, um, actually by NAFTA when uh, Perot talked about this giant sucking sound. I had no idea that we would be in the vortex of the science mm. giant sucking sound. We lost our legacy employers, tobacco, textiles, furniture. And so for the last few years, we have been rebuilding ourselves and looking at other industries and to diversify and to prop up small and medium-sized businesses because we don't want the big employers to pull out and us to be in the same position. With that being said, we have had a number of tremendous worldwide global economic development announcements. We have a few more in the pipeline. And these were things that didn't happen overnight. They were done with you know, making sure we had the infrastructure in place, the relationships, and they have been building for years. So um, in, in the last year, we have had some great, specifically um, the Toyota ban- battery manufacturing and boom, supersonic jets. Yeah, we've had Walker Sanders on and uh, Kevin Baker and Paul Manger, mm-hmm. and uh, we got them talking about some of. And you're right; these things take a long time to put in a pipeline. And now we're at the other end, and everybody says, "Oh, that looks pretty easy." Yes, and they have no idea how much work it takes. Uh, you know, when I moved here in 1990, the unemployment rate was below three percent; might even been two percent. And nationwide, it was ten or twelve. And I remember telling my friends, because uh, I'm from Cleveland and lived in other cities, saying, man, we have no unemployment. I mm-hmm. mean, it's we were 
these people, we can't find people. Then NAFTA hit. And it was a total reverse. I and mean, it was like the perfect storm in the wrong way. And the folks in the city, Jim Melvin and yourself and other people jumped in, uh, Walker Sanders. And uh, I, I, I love living some, reading some of the backstories. The other thing that's really helped us is our state legislature. They have gotten in line. Well, and, you know, we had an opportunity years ago to bring an automobile manufacturer to the Mebbin area, not far from the city of Greensboro. And our legislature at that time did not engage. Um, and I think that they saw what happened, how the automobile manufacturer went to Alabama and all the gro growth around that. So the legislature that we're working with now has really embraced um, being open for business, business friendly, working on reasonable economic development incentives. None of us like them, but you know that is the way the game is played. And if we're going to stay in the game, we have to be competitive. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk about some of the social issues we've got in town. You know, uh, we had a little riot in we town, did. and uh, the, you know, as I look at that, uh, Joshua Bengetti and the rabbi and I went down after, and we went to visit our good friend Odell. Uh, you know, when you see what went on, you go. Um, initially, I said, "Well, why didn't they cordon off downtown?" Well, I don't think that's possible physically, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, it, clearly there were bad apples. It wasn't everybody at the event that was doing this. I don't believe that they were Greensboro-based people. I believe that we had um, disruptors from without our community that came in. You know, putting it in perspective, we had two very bad nights where there was um, damage to uh, buildings in downtown Greensboro and a few buildings throughout the city. Um, I did call for a week-long curfew after that, and I caught a lot of slack from both sides of the aisle. Businesses were just beginning to recover from COVID, restaurants, and you know, having to say, you've, you're going to have to close at eight. But after we had that week-long curfew, we had not had any further violent actions in our city of Greensboro especially downtown. Wow. Other cities can't say that. When you look at even cities around the state of North Carolina, that they had repeat incidents of violence and protesting. We did have a, um, a community organizer, AJ Morgan, who I like a lot. We built a good relationship. There was three weekends where they did a protest at um, high yield intersections and shut traffic down for a little while. And people were upset about that. And I certainly understand it, but there was a message that was being sent. Absolutely. I saw a couple of those. And let me tell you that people were peaceful. I mean, they were shutting down intersect. Don't get me wrong, but they were doing their thing and they weren't damaging anything. They weren't breaking anything. They were just expressing their viewpoints. You know, I, I have a different way of doing it. They had a different way. So, you know, so, you know, we we talk about the North Carolina A&T 4, the Greensboro 4, yes. the sit-in museum, and that was a really shining moment in our history and something that we can be proud. And whenever you talk about civil rights, the sit-in movement is always at the top of the list. Well, you know, that sit-in movement didn't last just one day or two days or 30 days. It was actually five months and three weeks. And that led to a lot of disruption downtown, a lot of interruption of business. Um, but we kind of glamorize and romanticize that that sit-in movement was like something that happened quickly with huge change. Um, you know, in comparison to what happened during the sit-in movement and what's happened the last year or two, we have had much less disruption, 
but I think people have had their voices heard. Amen. You know, I was reading a history about that sit-in. We've been down to the our civil rights museum, which is a gem in the city. It is. I, I put it, believe it or not, I put it up there with Tanger Center mm-hmm. because it's it's a unique place in the country. And now that we're going after a heritage, international heritage. We are, yes. And UNESCO, um, uh, an UNESCO certification. Yeah, that's going to be huge. So, you know, we're getting ready. I, Dory and I have a, a nonprofit, Odell's on the board, uh, called Youth of North Carolina. And uh, we raise money and we, we're giving it away. But we finally came across something that we, can, we really want to get involved in. And we're going to do a youth protection symposium at the Civil Rights Museum in October. Love for you to attend. I'd love to be there. We're bringing I know in- that Dory works very hard in our community, volunteering, working with the police department, the 500 job initiative. So. Yeah, I'm very proud of her yes. for what she does. She's When she gets involved, man, she, she's going to take off and she'll even it. give you a body part. Uh, yeah, I know. Did you hear that? I did. <laughs> well, my family gives away body parts. They won't take any body parts from me. Yeah. <laughs> They're no good. <laughs> I have a couple extra pounds, but I don't think anyone wants that. <laughs> hey, Odell, I'm going to get you here in a minute. I just want to finish this thought. So we're going to do this youth protection symposium, and we've got the North Carolina Child Abuse Society coming in with a keynote speaker, and we're going to do eight breakout sessions during the day, all simulcast throughout the state of North Carolina. Wow, that's great. And uh, so it's it's going to be a big event. It's our first year. We've hired a full-time director uh, to come in and help us. And uh, we're gonna, our office is going to be at Nestbaum Center. So when we get a little further down the road with the itinerary and everything, I'd love to have you attend. Uh, there's going to be a luncheon. And uh, that's when the keynote speaker is going to talk. Great, I'll be so happy to be there. That'll be lovely. You know, I mentioned Tanger and uh, the civil rights. The story that I was going to tell you in our our listening audience is I was reading a story, the four men that young men, they were freshmen in college. They were young. Yeah. Went to a counter that was all white and sat down to do their homework and have a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And it changed the nation. It did. And there's a story. The fellow that was working behind the counter was black and they have a picture of him holding the, uh, where he picked up the dishes and he overheard one of the, black young gentleman and there was an elderly white woman probably in her 60s or 70s oh, that's not so elderly yeah, yeah. yeah i'll agree with that <laughs> yeah. i'll agree with that yeah. <clears throat> yeah it's a good point let me yeah. back up on that <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm gonna adjust that yeah uh, a lady yeah <laughs> a white lady mm-hmm. and he leaned over and he says i am so sorry we don't mean to cause a disturbance all we want is a cup of coffee and to do our homework and she leaned over very softly and said to him, it's about time. Yeah. And I'm like, holy cow. That's so cool. That is. That's a great story. Yeah. And uh, so, Odell, I've been yakking here, yakking. You got anything you want to throw in? Uh, definitely. Definitely. The mayor is a good friend and I'm um, part of her, you know, fan club. But Bill, as a white male, mayor as a white female, uh, the riots, which was called, uh, Odell referred to it as peaceful protests that some elements start smashing windows, Black Lives Matters. Mayor, we just saw last week the phenomenal play, uh, Alexander Hamilton in the whole Tanger Center. And one of the things there was to be in the room when it happened. I want to be in the room when it happens. You are in a lot of rooms as the leader of this great city, but I've never heard you 
of you being involved in any scandals, never heard of you being involved in stealing or embezzlement or any of that kind of stuff. So let me first say thank you for being the type of mayor who has integrity. Now thank to my question. Yes. Black folks shutting down interstates, Black folks going up and down Greensboro, the streets of Greensboro protesting, what kind of calls, Bill, does white folks call you or mayor in the room if you can share is like, oh my God, you got to get them black folks under control. And let me just tell you what I'm talking about. We talked about the Greensboro Four. I'm sure during that time when those four young men, all freshmen, came to the all-white Woolworth counter and protest started, somebody talked to the then mayor and like, you got to get them black folks back under control. I'm sure that happened. Um, when we had the Greensboro massacre, when the individuals got shot, um, Nelson Johnson and his team was doing some things and it turned out real negative. And then later on, not that Nelson was negative, the results was negative and people got killed. So let me clarify that. Nelson's a friend of mine. Then later on, I'm sure the call was made to the mayor at that time. You got to get this thing under control. So mayor, you in a lot of meetings where race comes up. And a lot of times when race comes up, it's probably not the sunshine and flowers. How do you handle those meetings and keep your integrity? Because what people say is two Greensboro's. They say the mayor is too involved with the black people in Greensboro. Then others say the mayor is too involved with the white people in Greensboro. So I say, you must be doing something right because everybody thinks what you're doing is wrong. Well, um, you know, it is challenging at times. And one thing um, I think you both know about me is that I am comfortable in all spaces. So I will even go into a room when I know that people are angry with me or they don't believe in my philosophy and facilitate a conversation and what it is that, what can we do to work together to come up with a, a better solution? You know, right now we are suffering like a lot of cities are across the country with the lack of affordable housing, just the lack of housing in general, um, you know, civil rights issues through our entire city. And so those, as I said earlier, while they're big issues, they're not too big for us to tackle. And we need to do that with partnerships. And I know that I have been one of those people who have been able to build coalitions from around the city who are truly focused on what's doing best. Well, you know, it's interesting when you came and you said, because Republicans and Democrats, when you said we're going to extend the mask mandate and we're going to make restaurants, you have to have a mask mandate. And if you don't, we're going to find you. People came after you like white owned rice and you stood your ground. You stood your ground. You didn't play politics with it. Where do you get the fortitude? Where do you get the strength to stand up? on what you think is right for people, because every leader don't stand up. Every leader don't stand up. So, Odell, this pandemic, um, you know, obviously was something that nobody had on their radar. I didn't really understand the severity of it when I was hearing about it in January and February of 2020. Um, but in speaking with our local health care providers and professionals, quickly realized the severity of what was going on. And I was the chair of the North Carolina Metro Mayor's Coalition. And we we had weekly and more meetings to talk about what we needed to do. And, you know, as a group, um, 
we decided that we were going to have to do a shutdown, that we were going to have to close businesses. What we thought at that time would be for two or three weeks. Um, and then, you know, the virus would go away and everybody would be back. And, you know, I, I will tell you behind closed doors, it was tearful. It was difficult. These were, these are my friends. I know that I was putting a financial burden on them, but ultimately it was, what are we going to do to literally keep the people in our community alive? Um, you know, I, I said that history will judge us. Did we overreact? Did not, we not react hard enough? Um, I think that chapter is still being written, but I wouldn't do anything differently at this point. And I think people understand that. Mayor, how do you handle when people just get in your face and they're just plain old ugly? And I think their ugliness doesn't come from that's who they usually are. In a situation like this, some would say you were taking their livelihood away from them. So maybe that ugliness came from fear, but you still stay, stood your grounds. Um, I, I would agree. And so you have to you know, understand that the, the hardship that everybody was facing at that point, that was before we knew that there would be some economic stimulus from the federal government and PPE, and that a lot of people had invested in our community and were afraid of going bankrupt or being shut down. So, you know, you have to be a leader that's strong enough to be able to take that criticism um, and to allow people to vent. Wow. One last thing, then I'm going to kick it back to Bill. You know, at first, when they were doing the vaccines were available, a lot of times people of color didn't have access to it the same way. Let me explain. You had to call and get an appointment and all this kind of stuff, and it just wasn't going right. And you and others put together a plan where we're going to set aside X amount of slots for elderly people of color and, which is so important, the health department and um, Chairman County Chairman Skip Austin, you and other Gladys Robinson, got a site over here at Mount Zion, over here in this part of town. I think that was just so important because a lot of times you had the Coliseum and everything else. It just made a difference because that saved lives. That saved a lot of lives. I think it did. And I certainly appreciate Mount Zion opening up their church um, to be a vaccination site. We were fortunate that the federal government put a vaccination site here at the, at the mall and thousands of people were vaccinated every day. We have a large immigrant and refugee community in the city of Greensboro, probably proportionally one of the largest in the country. And I was part of a language access group where we were communicating to um, to populations where English isn't their first language or that they may be a little um, cautious of government um, uh, advice. So we uh, worked with leaders in their own communities and did videos and had those leaders go out and talk to them and explain exactly what the vaccine was. And I think we had a lot of success in reaching people who would normally have fallen by the wayside, but that we were very deliberate in making sure that they got the message. Well, you know, last thought, and you may be able to share and you may not, but in the play Hamilton, you go in the room one way and people have told you, yes, I have your back. Yes, you have my support. And then when the cameras come on, lights, camera action, people change. How do you handle that when people lie to your face as a leader? You think you have enough votes and you go out there and they just switch right on you or lie on your position and you just deal with it. How do you deal with that? 
You know, part of it, I think, is my upbringing. And, you know, my mom would always say you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. And so, uh, you know, overall, I am not a confrontational person, especially in public, but I let people know how I feel. That's one reason why this election has been so difficult. It is because, you know, trying to write information out there that is deliberately negative. When you're when you're running against an incumbent mayor, your politics 101 playbook has to be that things are bad. Um, and then, of course, if I've done anything good, then it wasn't due to me. It was due to somebody else. So um, it's been difficult. But, you know, I, I just keep moving. Can you give us one example? And then, Bill, you take one example that someone misrepresented the truth or did something that you like, this is bad? Well, I mean, this this is just one of the latest examples. When we talk about our large economic development um, initiatives, you mentioned Tanger, and Tanger has been an unqualified success. It is known nationwide. We had, uh, in our first season, record-breaking attendance, and um, former Mayor Robbie Perkins brought that idea to the council, um, but then I finished the idea once he was off council and worked with the donors coming up with a memorandum of understanding. We must have had, you know, eight different votes trying to whip up the votes and make sure this would stay on track. Um, The amount of time that I spent on this project um, is really untold. But, you know, one of my opponents said, well, I was just one of nine votes that I really didn't do anything that other council members didn't do. And so it's tough when you see your accomplishments be belittled especially well, when the person should know better. Yes. But leadership matters and you led through it. I was on the board of directors of the Community Foundation. So I know the back and forth, Lee, Lee Lloyd, Mac, I know all the details. Bill? Tanger Center for folks who's listening, that's our performing arts center that's state of the art, largest in the state and has been selling out. It. it truly has sold out just about every performance and it is open multiple nights every week. We had the largest grossing Lion King um, production in North America, which is pretty exciting for that to be um, in our city. The first year, the inaugural season, we sold over 17,000 Broadway subscriptions. Wow. Um, That number is the largest opening Um, Broadway package across the country. So, you know, some people think, well, Performing Arts Center, you know, what is that? Well, it brings people from across the country to see some of these performances. It fills our hotels. It it more than fills our restaurants. The the restaurants are really struggling just to keep up. People come and shop in our shops. They go to places like the Civil Rights Museum. They look at our Science Center. So it is a huge powerhouse economic generator. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we never even talked about the Science Center. That's that's another huge thing. That is really cool. Yes. Dory went over there and she's going to try and get me on those high ropes. Yeah. Oh. I'm afraid of heights, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Odell, I'll go if you go. I'm not going, so you're not going. I don't pass the weight <laughs> limit, Bill. I don't. I, I'm past the weight limit. There's a weight limit. Oh my gosh! Yes, I know and that. I don't mean waiting in line. I mean waiting with pounds. <laughs> so I did when when that when the ropes course opened. I did the beginner course, and um, I was able to get through that. But it was, um, and you know, you're all belted in, so you're not going to fall anywhere. Yeah. Um, but still, getting through that ropes course, I would like to go back and see if I could do a higher level at this point. Oh my goodness! Well, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> well, Dell and I might be sitting down there 
eating popcorn, <laughs> looking okay. at you. Right, Odell. But I do want to yes. talk about something that just recently happened. You went to Israel. I did. Tell us about how that happened and what your experience. Was that your first time to Israel? It was. And I hope it won't be my last time. I was one of 12 mayors nationwide that was invited for this trip to Israel. And it was an amazing experience. We had world-class speakers. Um, we heard from Jews, Muslims, Arabs, Christians. It was the full spectrum of opinion. It was kind of a no holds barred discussion for a week. Um, we traveled to the to Gaza and and saw oh, the wow. fence. Wow. It was we we stayed. We didn't stay, but we visited a kibbutz right outside of Gaza. We spoke with um, you know people who have served in the military on on both sides. We went up in a helicopter and was able to see Nazareth in the in the distance. Hmm. And we went over the occupied territory, and wow. it was very interesting. To you could quickly tell the difference in the in the settlements. I could see the mountains of Syria in the distance. And my grandfather was from Syria. Wow. So it was, that was especially wow. um, uh, nice for me. And then we went to Jerusalem and that was just so impactful to see the birthplace of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all within 150 yards of each other. It was just such an amazing experience. Um, so I, I think it is a blessing that I was able to go. Our, the mayors that I traveled with were from very large cities to smaller cities. And, you know, we also talked about issues in our own community and how we are handling and came back with a lot of good ideas. But this trip to Israel truly was life affirming because even with everything that happened and there were two terrorist attacks while we were in Tel Aviv, there was still such a positive attitude and you could see the investment in their community. It was, it was very special. And then oh, the last day we were in Jerusalem, we did go to the Yad Vashim Holocaust Memorial and that was extremely sobering, but it also makes me reflect on the issues of today and what's going on in the Ukraine. And clearly we knew what was going on before Pearl Harbor happened, and we were allowing um, awful atrocities to happen in Poland and other places throughout Europe. And I wonder if we are doing the same thing. Is it appeasement? Are we allowing people to be murdered without some sort of greater intervention? And I'm not saying we should put um, troops on the ground. I'm concerned about, you know, now we have this nuclear element. I'm so glad this isn't something that I have to deal with <laughs> on a daily basis, but it has certainly brought it much more front of mind um, and what we need to do for our fellow humans. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Now, this trip wasn't paid for by the city. It was not. It was all privately funded. And and then how were you chosen? I don't know. Um, I think actually it could have been that I was recommended by our local Jewish Federation. They have oh, not admitted to that yet. Yeah. But Odell, if you recall, um, back in 2020, we went on a civil rights tour. Yes. Dory was yeah. on the yeah. tour as I well. I was with you too. Yes. You were, yeah. so, so we were all But everybody tour. remembers Dory. Nobody remembers me or Odell. <laughs> right? right, Odell? 
And it was <laughs> it was a fabulous um, it was a fabulous trip. And again, uh, the lunch counter was in every single place. Did you that notice we that, too? I oh, saw the same absolutely. thing. I was like, holy cow, which, which really was reaffirming that we need to make sure that this lunch counter is preserved right. and that we get that message out. But while I was on the trip, I was able to speak with Marilyn Chandler. And I have a feeling that she may have put a good word in for me. So she has a few connections. She does. She, does. she was on the podcast, too. Was she? Yeah, She's you should listen to her episode. It's phenomenal. I will. We had a number of uh, things in common. In fact, when we leave here, I'm going to show you uh, our kitchen chairs that are from a guy by the name of Mark Talisman. Now, that name you, you probably don't know. I don't. And that's okay. Uh, Mark Talisman is a Jewish guy, uh, and he was chief of staff for a guy by the name of Charlie Vanek, who did the Jackson Vanek Amendment that brought 1.2 million Jews out of Russia. Wow. And into Israel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Mark also started the Holocaust Museum in D.C. Yes. And Mark was a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I've got his kitchen tables, chairs downstairs. That is really cool. Yeah. And I'll tell you the backstory. Yes. Uh, But, you know, um, we, Odell, um, we went as a group, uh, just Odell, Bev, Dory, and I, on our 25th anniversary, we did a riverboat cruise from Paris to Normandy. And while we were on that cruise, that's when we kind of came up with this idea of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, he says, man, we, we need to do something together. Uh, and it morphed into what we see today. And I think we have 75 episodes now. That's great. Yeah, it's been I'm fantastic. honored to be a part of no. that. Um, on my daughter's 10th birthday, uh, we went to Normandy. Did you really? We did. And that is another sober, sobering experience. When you look at those clips and think of those young men who were coming off of those carriers yeah, and absolutely. what must have been going through their minds and you know, just to go to the American cemetery and, um, you know, it is certainly something that I will never forget. And yeah. I know that my daughter will never forget, even having been there just as 10 years old. She at 10 years old, it impacted yeah. her. Wow. You know, the, when we went there, the we got a tour and the average age is 20 years old of those 7,000. So it tells you how young they were yeah. that came in. Um the uh, well, I'm so glad you went to Israel. We went with the uh, interfaith trip, mm-hmm. and in Mar- that's where I got a chance to meet Marilyn. And we in Marilyn worked for Mark Talisman, and oh. we didn't discover it till we were in Israel. Uh, after we visited a uh, immigration area that they're bringing uh, Jews in, I think from Ethiopia, and they were talking about the Soviet Jewish thing, and then I mentioned. Mark. And she says, well, how do you know Mark? And I said, well, how do you know Mark? She worked for him at one point. Wow. Small world. And she had a cell phone. Wow. So we called him from Israel. Oh, how cool is and that? And he's going, Gobel, what are you doing in a promised land <laughs> <laughs> with Maryland? Yes. Yeah. So it was a cool thing. But Israel, oh, I, how long were you there? Just a week. Oh, man. You need another week. We we do. And we were fortunate because it was so heavily programmed. We made use of just about every minute. No waste of time. No waste of time at all. We had a total of three hours free time. Oh, wow. And we all went back to our rooms and slept. (laughs) (laughs) It was was great. Well, you know, we do the interfaith trip, the same thing. They they get the bus at seven and go to six, have your dinner. And the girls want to do some shopping. Yeah. And there was no time for shopping until the last day they gave them a an area that they could shop. And it was, I think the credit cards are starting to melt. It was busy. It was. So the only place we shopped was in the Western city. Where, okay. Where, and you know, the, all of those alleys, those yeah. different ways. And my, um, my maiden name is Barakat, which is a 
Syrian name. And so, and it's kind of like Smith or Jones here in the US. So I was really hoping that I would see something with my name on it. And I did. Did you? I did. And I walked in and I said, oh my God, we're cousins. (laughs) (laughs) And I bought this ring. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that since it's a podcast, you can't see it. But um, so it's. Put it up toward the camera. So I don't know. No. Yeah, we might. I see uh, it. You can see it. Yeah. And I liked it because it reminded me of the domes that you see around Jerusalem. So that is the only thing that I bought while I was there. And I bought it from a Barakat and Barakat. And I just thought that was really cool. What a great story. That's right. So we're getting near our end and we always ask our guests, how do you find common ground and give you the last word? So uh, it's on you right now. Well, thank you. And I think, you know, what I said earlier is being able to work with a variety of different groups. Um, I think you have to do that. I think you have to meet people where they are and respect their feelings because their feelings is reality to them. You know, if somebody's telling you a story, you can't say, oh, no, well, that's not really or or we could do this. You have to listen to what they're saying because it is their truth. So it is trying to find a blend on what we can do for the best of our city to uplift everyone. But I think that has to start with respecting where people are coming from. Very good. Yeah, I, I got a question. Uh, I know you're running for political office. The the primaries in May, right? Yep, May 17th. And then the, the two top go to the finals, I guess. Correct. Yeah. And that's in November. No, unfortunately, it is July 26th. Oh, it's quick. Which is probably the worst time in the world that you could have an election. People will be um, on vacation or just not. Um, our elections were delayed a little bit because of redistricting. So we should have had our elections last October and November. So now we're having them in May and July. People aren't used to voting for city council in July. We do have some bonds on the um, ballot. I'm hoping that will drive people out. So it'll be curious to see who turns out in July. Are the congressional districts and all the rest of them in that same time frame? No, they are at the May. So we feel good that we'll have a good turnout in May. Though the turnout in July could be very different because there are all partisan races on the May ballot and more Republican seats are contested than Democratic seats in the primary. So um, this might be the first time where a primary doesn't necessarily show where the city where the city is. So um, I think what will happen in July, it will be who can get their base out, get their base out. And now uh, I want to have you tell our audience if they want to contribute to your campaign and support you, where would they go to do that? Well, I have a website. And so if people want to learn more about me and you can certainly email me, my website is mayor, Nancy Vaughn, V a U G H a N.com mayor, Nancy Vaughn, MayorNancyVaughn.com. And it will, it, you know, it gives you my background, you know, what I think the, the hot issues are, what I've accomplished. So, um, you know, feel free to go there to email me if you have specific questions. Yeah. And of course, there is a donate button. Very good. You know, folks. I have a question. Yes. Go ahead, go ahead Bill. Bill. Well, I was going to say, you know, I haven't met a politician that enjoys raising money. You know, money. we prefer elected official. Elected official? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I'm learning. Well, I'm learning. I have a question here. for the elected official. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes. You went to Israel and came back and you landed and immediately you had a mayoral debate. Within with 24 four individuals. hours. Yes. Yes. And four individuals, you had two black males, one white male of um, 
Parisian. Yes, yes. He um, he's and, a naturalized citizen. And you. So yeah. here we are, two black men, one white man, one white female, and you tore them out of the frame on what? Lack, you've been up for 36 hours. Yes. You're not afraid as a leader. We're not saying female leader, so I don't want the audience to eat me up, but you're not afraid of a leader. And you remind me when Katanji Brown Jackson got elected. So talk about how you ate everybody up on the debate and then tell us how you feel about Judge Brown being elected. Then I have one more question. So this might be another circuitous answer. I remember a couple of Olympics ago, there was a young girl from um, Long Island and she was a skater and she was number four on the list. So um, she knew that she was already out of the medal range at that point, unless she did something absolutely phenomenal. And she went out and did the skate of her life. I mean, she just took every chance she could, she could, and she ended up winning the gold. Wow. And it was because when her back was against the wall, when my back is against the wall, I know the only person who's going to make a difference is me. And I have to make sure that my story is being told and that when people misrepresent what I've said or what I've done, it's up to me to correct them. And unfortunately, when women do things like that, sometimes they're, they are seen as bitchy. Um, you know, men are seen as aggressive and strong and women sometimes can be seen as bitchy or whiny or defensive. But yeah, no, you're right, though. And, and it's it's really not that fair, fair because, you know, it, it's the same circumstances. It's just it's a different standard. set of lenses. It's a double standard, Bill. Yeah, it it's is. A double standard. It really is. Mm-hmm. It really is. You had another question? Oh. Yes, um, Katanji Brown Jackson. I am thrilled that finally, finally, because that was my only art I had with President Barack Obama, that he didn't nominate a black female for Supreme Court justice. And I've always had issues when we traded a Thurgood Marshall for Clarence Thomas, like Mm -hmm. trading baseball cards. Since I try to make it a point not to talk bad about other black men, but I didn't think that was a fair deal. But Mm -hmm. again, Now, what do you think about this leadership? Because some people, not all, have problems with female leadership. I don't. I don't. Bill don't. We're married. We're used to getting lead around by our wives. So that's it. But what do you think about how the world is changing when you can elect a Black female as a Supreme Court justice? I think I just think that's really pretty cool. Um, I hate that people think that she was selected because she was black. Um, You know, I think that when you look at her resume, she is very competitive, even with people sitting on the Supreme Court right now, that when they got on the court, she already has more experience than they do. Um, You know, I believe. I believe that she's going to do a good job. I regret that it's boiled down to you know, that she is a black woman. I mean, she is just a great candidate. And, um, you know, I think that she stands alone on her merits. However, I think it is great for for people to see themselves represented um, in the Supreme Court. So, you know, that there are there are people who will feel better with more people who look like them and a woman of color, you know, to have, uh, I think, is great. You know, it reminds me of that picture that kind of went viral of a young black girl looking at Michelle Obama's picture that was in the National 
portrait gallery and how she yeah. was doing the same pose. It was one of the cutest pictures ever. But, you know, that young girl saw herself. And I think that is so neat. Well, Mayor, but Bill would tell me that Odell, if president and what the reason why it came down to a black female and it boiled down to that is because President yes. Biden said as one of his promises that he will elect a black female, a nominated black female Supreme Court justice. And my good white friends, especially my white male friends, like Bill said, what, Bill? You like that's that's unfair. Well, I, I think what where, where I was coming from is <clears throat> I don't think he needed to even say that. I think he just needed to say, I'm going to put the best candidate in. And quite frankly, she's the best candidate. She is better than some of the folks on the Supreme Court. Uh, and when you look at her background and her education and uh, what she's done on the bench in the past, uh, clearly she's the best candidate. It has nothing to do with her sex or her color or her skin. And I was really impressed by the grace she oh my exhibited. Goodness, yes. You know, she was getting everything thrown at her yep. and she just um, stayed very calm yep. and was able to withstand that. Tremendous grace under fire. And I, there was a picture on Facebook uh, that someone had taken. It's probably someplace else too, but her daughter looking over at her with such pride mm -hmm. is in, in her mom, just sitting there listening and being stoic. Sure. And I was like, wow, that's a great picture. You know, the, I, I, I'm very disappointed in our uh, elected officials mm -hmm. <laughs> that uh, I'm learning. Yeah. I'm married. I learned yeah. <laughs> sometimes it takes a while, but uh, the, uh, but our elected officials uh, uh, that were uh, partisan in asking her questions, because some of the things that they were bringing up had nothing to do with being on the Supreme court. And, you know, their role is to make sure we have the best candidate. Okay. And it's, it's okay to maybe question some of the rulings and asking the backstory, because as you know, as mayor, there's always, always a, back a backstory. Yep. And when people hear the backstory, they go, Oh, okay. I see it in a different light. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in some of those folks. And if I ever had a chance to sit down with some of them, like Ted Cruz and them and say, dude, what is going on here? You know, right. are you trying to make a political statement or you're trying to get the best candidate for America. You know, it's a shame. You hear the story about Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan Amen. and, and yep. Senator Kennedy, you know, that they could be adversaries, but at the end of the day, they still respected each other and were friendly. We never, we didn't have the type of hostility that we have yep. now. And when I said that my heart's in Greensboro and that I would always stay here, I don't like that ugliness. And you know, I would hope that that ugliness never comes to local government. Yes, I agree. You know, I worked in D.C. for Congressman Vanek as an administrative aide under Mark Talsman. And that was when Reagan was there and, and uh, all those guys. And uh, there's a story about Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill. I might have heard it, but uh, they, they had an agreement that they would do their partisanship during the day. But at five o'clock, when they sat down and had their adult beverage, mm -hmm. their bourbon, they would become friends and talk things up. And one time there was a very, very contested issue. And uh, Ronald Reagan called Tip O'Neill. It was about noon. And he said, uh, Tip, I think it's five o'clock now. Mm. Come on over. We need to have a, a drink. Uh -huh. And they sat down and, and hashed it out. Uh, we need to get back to that. We do. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's both parties. It's not oh, yeah. one or the other. Absolutely. I mean, the whole, the whole situation is just contaminated. Yep, yeah, it is. I, uh, uh, Mark Walker's a good friend and 
Uh, I told Mark, quite frankly, I said, anybody that Trump supports, I'm going to look at twice mm-hmm. uh, just because of some of the things that have been pulled and some of the uh, uh, what he lets loose and what he lets people mm-hmm. do. It's unacceptable. You know, let me say something about Mark Walker is I really like him as a person. And I, you know, I get called as mayor for all sorts of things. And one day I got called by a woman who was distraught. Her niece was in Peru. She had been um, assaulted and needed to get to an airport. And here she is. She's calling the mayor of Greensboro. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, I could hear the panic in her voice. And I didn't know what to do. And I picked up the phone and called Congressman Walker seven o'clock on a Saturday morning and said, Mark, because we called each other, yeah. you know, like I got this issue here and I don't know how to handle it. He said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Wow. And and he helped. She got home. Um, but he was there that Saturday morning and picked up the phone. And I I'm always grateful for that because I was at least able to go back to this woman and say, somebody's working on it for you. Yeah. Oh, man. I've wow. heard so many stories about Mark like that. And, you know, Howard Coble was the same way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we were blessed to have him. Um, well, Mrs. Mayor, elected yeah. official. Thank you. This thank has you. been delightful. Yeah, this you're more than welcome back anytime. Odell, do you want to say anything before we close? Yes, uh, Madam Mayor, elected official. Thanks for the role you played in the Tanger Center that me and my good friend Bill Goble and our lovely brides were able to have dinner at B. Christopher's, mm-hmm. walk down the street to the Tanger Center and witness uh, Alexander Hamilton. But more importantly, when you say to be in the room when it happens, you're always in the room. And I thank you for not being involved in scandals. I thank you for having your integrity in the room. So can you share with the listening audience, especially those who are in Greensboro, why should they vote for you? So we have just come through four of the most turbulent years in our history. Um, we had a tornado that actually happened four years ago today. Um, we've, we had an officer death while on duty. We had civil unrest and the death of Marcus Dion Smith while in police custody. We had COVID. We've had protests. But through all of these things in the last four years, I have led with strong, steady leadership to the point where people don't even realize all the turbulence we've been in the last four years. And not only did we get through those four years, but we have thrived. We have gotten global economic development announcements. And these announcements truly will help the people of our community because it comes with training and workforce development. And we won't be importing people from other communities to fill these jobs, but many of them will be filled with people from green and Guilford County. Well, Mayor, you have my vote and my endorsement. Now, I can't speak for my Republican friend right there, but for your good-looking Black-eyed Democrat, <laughs> you have my vote and my endorsement, Madam Mayor, elected official. Thank Bill? you again. I appreciate it. Well, we have her sign in our front yard, so that'll tell yes. you, son. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved.
This podcast is proudly sponsored by... Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.